Today's episode of the Snowball Floorball Podcast is brought to you by IBK Events and Consulting, a sport business firm working towards growing the sport of floorball in Canada and the world. For more information, reach out to us at info at ibkevents.com. As well as Free Hit Floorball Clothing Company, Canada's first floorball-focused lifestyle apparel brand. For all your latest floorball styles, visit us on Instagram at freehit underscore fbc. Floorball fans, and welcome to episode number eight of the Snowball Floorball Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Simpson of IBK Events and Consulting, and today we are speaking with the general manager of the men's U19 national program and soon to be men's program GM, as well as a uh, lifetime member of the Ottawa Blizzard Floorball Club, Stuart Big Stu Bowden. All right, well, I'm here with uh, Stuart Bowden, senior, I should say, because uh, we had little Stu on last week. Uh, so, Stu, why don't you start with just telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got into floorball, and all that good stuff. Well, first, Carl, thanks for having me on, and uh, congratulations with the uh, the podcast. This is great for the sport and, and growing it. And uh, hopefully uh, my son didn't throw me under the bus too much last week. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and I really got involved in floorball through him. Um, I guess like most parents, uh, get involved in sports through their, their kids. Um, he was playing on a hockey team. Uh, he was novice and he was playing with the, the youngest, uh, Buck brother, Liam, um, and uh, Mr. And Mrs. Buck, uh, approached the coaching staff that I was uh, one of and said, uh, you know, Manor Park, uh, community uh, center run by Darren Fournier was running, uh, these sessions of floorball um, to get hockey teams to try it out. I think it'd be good for the the boys to try it. So we said, sure, you know, more sports for the kids. Why not? And ironically on that team was uh, Alex Kovlev, his son, and he had played floorball in Russia. So as soon as he heard about it, he was like, yeah, the boys are. We took the team there and and we did a a free session. It was kind of run by uh, the Manor Park uh, group. Um, which was like Alex Burpee and Calvin Miller at the time uh, under Darren and, uh, and Stu really enjoyed it. Um, so then uh, we found out that they ran a, a weekly league. So we signed him up and, uh, and he did that uh, every Wednesday night for an hour. They had uh, a different, uh, they had like four different teams. So they would do like a round robin uh, schedule and then when that ended in like early spring, we found out that there was a competitive program, the Ottawa Blizzard. And Stu was really interested in playing that. So we signed him up for that. And that led to, uh, to going to Canada Cup uh, down at York University and, and seeing all the teams playing there was pretty neat. Um, we even uh, saw some dad's teams playing. So that led us to form a dad's team uh, for the next <laughs> year which wasn't yeah, maybe that. a great idea. <laughs> I still think to this day we haven't made the semifinals in, uh, in men's rec, but, but it's always fun to do that. Um, and then I found out, um, I guess, that, you know, Team Canada floorball 
uh, existed uh, back in 2015 when uh, Felix Robillard and, and Cam Buck from Ottawa were on the U19 team at the Worlds in Sweden. And I was like, there's a Team Canada for this and there's a world championship. And like, this is crazy. Like, this is great. Um, you know, it gives something for the, the kids to strive for. I just thought it was something that they played on a, you know, <laughs> Wednesday <weekly night>. basis, <laughs> yeah, like in a gym, you know. Um, and then it was at the uh, the 2016, the next year at the 2016 Canada Cup at the, the Pan Am Centre in Markham. Yep. And it was just after uh, Smitty and, and Tyler Brush had been named the the head coaches of the U19 men's program. And, uh, and Smitty Wait, said, you know, I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was trying to figure out where it was. I was like, we went from York and then we went to Ryerson and then there was a someplace else before we went to Brampton. Then I finally figured out, yeah, it was that Pan Am center in Markham. So, yeah, but they, uh, yeah, they approached me there and said, you know, we think uh, we need a general manager and we think you'd be a good fit. And I was like, I don't know what that involves, but sure, I've got some free time in my busy schedule and uh, I'll take this on. And now uh, completing my, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, our third cycle. Um, we did the, the U19 Worlds in 2017 in Sweden and then 2019 uh, in Halifax. And hopefully again, August uh, of this year in uh, the Czech Republic. And then that will be my, my final uh, GM position with the U19 program and then stepping up to take Frank uh, Julian's spot over with the men's national program. So, yeah, right. I guess I've been involved uh, at the Team Canada level, I guess, since 2016. So so five years now. Time flies. <laughs> yeah, I, I was – well, that's – because it's funny, the Pan Am Center, I was mm -hmm. like, that was the first time I really ran Canada Cup. It was just me and Ricky really doing it. Like, we threw it together pretty quick. Um, when you look back on it and like how much time we had to, to pull everything together and like the Pan Am, like great facility, but it's just like, it doesn't seem like five years ago, but it is five years ago. Yeah. You're like, wow, that's a long, that's actually been a long time. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's been, it's been a good, a good run, I think. And I, yeah, you just recently are moving into the men's uh, GM spot uh, this year, right? Yeah, Frank, Frank and I are kind of uh, transitioning. So he's he's still kind of on board and he, he joins for meetings with the coaching staff and and like that, things like that. So he's just kind of prepping me. And it's also, like I said, so I can finish up the U19 um, and get that uh, wrapped up before I, I focus my full time on, on the men's national program. Men's national program, nice. That's good. And then it's uh, a good it's, – it's nice to see some uh, like uh, – uh, maybe not development, but like kind of like that transition from like, oh, you've been with the 19 program. Now you get to go to the like, normally that's just the players that do that. So that's kind of cool that they've moved the GM up. So to speak. Yeah, we call it succession planning in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in my real job. He, he always, Frank was good. He, he, he knew that eventually he was going to step away. So he had to have somebody in place. So yeah, well, you guys, you guys run a pretty tight ship over in Ottawa there. So it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> that you guys uh, have this under control. So I guess we'll just uh, we'll get right into the questions here. Um, so the one I actually wanted to ask you, because you are, um, a, a, at least according to my Facebook feed, you are a very big sports guy. Um, I mean, I think the last time I talked to you and Little Sue, you guys were like had seven screens going because <laughs> you were trying <laughs> to keep in, like the draft was happening and like 
playoffs had started and the NBA was doing, I don't know. It's just like big sports family, which is, which is great. So I've, I've been asking this question of a couple people now. Do you think that four ball can become a competitive sport in like the big five industries? So like hockey, football, soccer, basketball, all that stuff. Or do you think it's more like, do you think the IFF and the Federation should be aiming to kind of fill the void that exists below those sports? So like regionally strong and like, you know, you sit, you can still put butts in seats, but you're talking about like a smaller stadium versus like, you know, like however many are at the Vegas games nowadays, which is what, like almost a hundred thousand or something yeah. like that. Right. So like, I, I think in Europe and, and that's when we tell people what floorball is, you know, we say, you know, look at what goes on in Europe um, there. It's, it's huge. And, and that's why it's, it's been so neat to get to go over there uh, to the world championships and just see um, how the sport um, is viewed over there. Like it's, it's on par with, you know, soccer and hockey, right? Yeah. Will it, will it get to that in North America? I, I don't see it. Um, I think it's just too, too long of a runway uh, for it to, to build up to that. Um, right. But I, th- I think the group that is involved, um, I think it'll grow. I think you see with the uh, down in uh, in the U.S., the North American Floorball League that they're trying to start up um, and bringing players from Europe uh, over there, um, hopefully get some exposure. If we can get on, you know, ESPN, the Ocho or something like that, yeah. you know, where, where, where sports go and then they grow into prime time maybe. But, yeah, yeah. It, it's going to take a while. Um I don't think I'll see it uh, probably in in my lifetime, and and maybe if Stu takes over my job eventually, then then it'll happen. But yeah, that's tough to to grow to that that level. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, basically the consensus has been is that it might not happen while we're all in the sport. It might get there eventually, but we might not get to see the fruits of that. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it because there's definitely the conversation I've been having with people recently too has kind of led to like. I think one of the things we need to work on is not just visibility of the sport so that you have more people playing it, but like we need to start playing to the fans, like the, that side of the sport, which is like in Europe there it's, it's a big part of it. But I think like when you're trying to grow the sport here in North America, we're so busy selling the sport to players that we forget to be like, it's fun to watch. Right. Like that's, I love watching horrible. I think it's great. Like, one of the reasons I like going to tournaments is you get to sit down and sometimes you can watch a whole game. Sometimes it's just a period depending on your role in running the tournament or how many teams you have to organize in, in your situation. Um, but you get like, I, I enjoy watching floorball and I think we just kind of need to expose more fans to the sport as well. Like I think if you have that base and people want to watch it, then it'll create the need for players because there'll be people realizing that there's, an avenue there for them to play at the highest levels and, you know, not just be playing in front of their mom and dad. Not that that's a bad thing, but yeah. you kind of want butts and seats, right? <laughs> yeah. Now I will say if we can get floorball into the Olympics um, through the world, world games, the world games happening um, next year in, in uh, Alabama and provided everything goes well for the, the men's team uh, at the world championships in, uh, in Finland later this year, that Canada should be there. If, if we can get floorball into the Olympics, I think the sky could be the limit because you know how many people just tune in to watch random sports on in the Olympics, not having any knowledge of what it is. 
they might see it and be like, wow, this is really cool. I want to find out more information about it. You know, watching it, playing it, coaching it, refereeing, yeah. things like that. That could be a huge boost. But that has to happen. And there's a, a lot of dominoes, I think, that have to fall for that to, to actually materialize. Yeah. And like I've said this, like I've had it when I've been recording episodes with people, um, when we do bring up the Olympics, the one thing I've realized in talking, especially after my conversations with Dave and Anthony about it, I think the it'll be great to get into the Olympics, but we need to strive to stay. Like we need to be a sport that doesn't have to worry about if we're going to lose our spot or not. We just like that continuous exposure. And then like all the qualifications that lead up to you getting into the Olympics gives you more marketability and more TV time. And then you're getting the sport out there. Right. So I think, like the Olympics is definitely a goal. I just think we also need to be, we not, we need to not be satisfied with that first games and then be like, okay, cool. We got it. We're good. Like you need to keep, we need to keep the momentum rolling uh, yeah. to benefit from being in that, co- that global competition and getting that recognition and the essentially free TV time <laughs> that comes with being in the Olympics, especially if like, cause the, like I said today, the next games that we can get into for floorball is LA in North America. So not only would the TV time be valuable, but it would actually probably be on TV at a time of day that more people would watch it Um, versus like, you know, trying to catch a, an 11 o'clock game or whatever it is, right? Like an early morning game because it's happening at four o'clock in Europe or wherever, right. Or on the other side of the world. Um, like in 2018 there, where we were watching, what was the gold medal game at like seven in the morning or something? <laughs> I it was early, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're exactly right. Cause uh, you know, people have short memories uh, when it comes to the Olympics. And I think one of the best examples is women's hockey. And I've coached at the university level in women's hockey. Um, and I know a lot of people involved with the national program there and same thing. I mean, for those two weeks during the Olympics, Everybody talks about women's hockey, how good it is, you know, how good the athletes are. And then for the four years in between, they struggle, you know, to have a pro league and, you know, put fans in the stands, like you said. So you're right. We need to, if we get in, it has to keep growing. You can't just count on, yeah, you're in the Olympics and everything's going to take off. Everybody's got to work even harder to make sure it stays there and people keep uh, looking for avenues to watch be at the world championships or you know u19s things like that so yeah exactly and i think too like like i think my my hope would be is that in if we got into the olympics it would give the iff the ability to take advantage of the of their world championships that they've already like established and the fact that they stream and stuff like there are plenty of sports out there that i would say like have probably more of a following and more of uh, like more membership, so to speak, than floorball does, uh, even at the international level, like lacrosse or rugby. And you like, if you're a true fan of the sport and it's like happening overseas or whatever, like I've, all you have to do is go on Twitter and find out how hard it is for people to watch. But the IFF actually does a really good job of providing that um, opportunity to watch a world championship like the highest players um, in the world on a global stage, like, cause you can click in via YouTube. Like they make it really easy. It's not like you have to go to a site and sign in and create an account and, you know, get all that working. Whereas like, if you have a, uh, an internet connection, like I watch 
the team. Like I make most of that at work on my phone. <laughs> I just had it running in the background. Right? Yeah, I remember in 2017 when we were in Sweden, um, our Stu's baseball team was practicing while we were over there. Uh, we had an indoor hitting facility here in Ottawa, and they actually had the TV on showing the floorball game while our baseball team was practicing. You know, yeah. because you're right. All you needed to do was go to the go to the IFF channels and, and you could watch every single game. So, yeah. So I think having that, like by having that established, I think they're a step ahead in, in taking advantage of that Olympic boom, so to speak, which is, which is a good thing. It's uh, it's one of the things that when I first got into the sport and like people started to show me about the international, like the international scope of the game, I was like, man, you guys have like a lot of the big stepping stones that a lot of other struggle with like you've checked those boxes like they're prepared for getting into the olympics it's just a matter of getting into the olympics which i want to say for this last round like for paris when they were picking the games for paris they were up against baseball softball and something else and it was like they were three like they were shortlisted for the shortlist and two out of three sports were baseball basically and that's kind of hard to compete against because baseball, like if, if I'm the Olympic committee, I would, I like, yeah, I want sports to be in new sports to be in Olympics and we show off all these things and we can help those federations grow. But at the same time, you got to sell tickets while you're there. So having those sports that bring in fans does have a, does have a plus for their side. So it's kind of like they have a weird balancing act that they have to try and uh, be mindful of. Yeah, and again, my involvement with other sports, baseball and softball, actually, um, they actually were separate organizations, um, and they actually merged together to form one so that they could leverage uh, each other to get into the Olympics. It was a really okay. interesting thing that uh, that they did, that baseball and softball used to be separate uh, organizations, and then they uh, came together, and that, that helped them um, use each other's strengths uh, to get in. That's uh, that's super smart on their part. Like I, but I didn't know that because like uh, I, I'd always kind of assumed that they were governed by the same body. So it's interesting that they had they decided to come together to like make an, a shot at the Olympics because they've been it's been a while since they've been back to the Olympics, right? They was like the '90s, like Nagano or not Nagano, but like maybe Sydney that they were at. I th- was Greece before Sydney or after? Because Greece that's the other. After. That was 2004. Okay. Because that's the other thing too is um, part of the, the memory of baseball and softball is they build these great facilities, but then the host country doesn't use it. Um, yeah. In Greece, they didn't really play a lot of baseball. So once the, the games were over, the stadium got like overrun and there's pictures of it, you know, being derelict and boarded up and stuff. And that was one of the, the things that, they had to really focus on was that they needed to build a facility that could be used by the the country, the host country after if it's yeah. for baseball or softball, great, but use it for something else, affordable housing or something, you know, like that. that they can, they're basically parking lots for massive amounts of buses. True. Yeah. Or in a swamp. <laughs> that you can only reach by boat. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was – I remember watching that that 2016, like, World Cup of Soccer, and I was like, I'm sorry, what? They're playing how many games here? And then it's going to be what? It was, like, four games, and they had to bust the players out because it was already on shaky ground. And they're like, yeah, in 200 years, it'll be submerged. <laughs> it'll be part of Brazil. I was like, okay. And Brazil's 
like soccer mad country and you figure those facilities can't get used. So imagine a facility that, you know, they don't play the sport there regularly. Um, yeah. Would become. So that's why I think Flor Florbal has a great opportunity because it's all you need really is a court. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody's got a court and you can use a court after for, you know, kids basketball or, or indoor futsal. Like it can be reused after an event. So, yeah, exactly. Well, it's like if, even if you watch like international floorball, like their regular seasons, like sometimes like the regular season games are often played in like what we would consider like a high school gym. It's obviously not. It's probably a university or just a multi-sport facility. Um, but it like it look, it's got the markings of the basketball and the volleyball courts, and it's really only in the playoffs that they roll out the nice floors with the ads on it, because um, it costs to house those and move them around. But um, they it's like it's totally it's you literally you need the boards and you can store those in a in a room. You don't have to leave them up. It's not like hockey where when you build a rink, bringing those boards down uh is insanely expensive and cumbersome and <laughs> yeah. and not always worth it right and two nets and like i said you can use nets for for pretty well any other sport so yeah exactly they've got they've definitely got a lot of things going for them but that actually i guess brings me to another question that i'll ask you is is do you think that there's anything either the iff or you know any of the federations really should be doing differently not just for the sake of going to the Olympics, but bringing attention to the sport of floorball. I guess if I had that answer, I should be running for a board position on the, uh, on the IFF, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's just, just exposure around the world. Um, I think they've obviously Europe is, is strong. Um, the oceanic group with, uh, you know, Japan, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, I think that's growing. Singapore was supposed to be in the U19 qualifier this year for the first time in a while. Um, so they're, they're growing on that side of the world, maybe a little bit more on the Western side, both North and South America. Um, a couple of years ago, there was uh, Jamaica was at the, uh, the qualifier for the men's worlds against the U S and Canada. Um, yep. So, you know, maybe getting some more, um, you know, smaller countries like that. And then, you know, like a Brazil, I mean, there's, my wife worked in Brazil and we went down to visit and there's like 26 million people just in Sao Paulo alone. Like, yeah, if, if you can leverage that to get, you know, a floorball going there and then combine it with Rio and, and Brasilia, which is the capital, you know, you could have some real good um, qualifiers uh, going on on the Western, uh, the Western side of the world. Yeah. It would give you more viewership in Europe as well for watching what's going on. Like, oh, we got to watch Canada play the U.S. for game number two here. <laughs> so I think that would be that would be helpful too. And I think it's uh, yeah, the Oceanic Group is doing really well. Um, I was talking about that with Dave, and I was like, it's what they're doing, especially in like Australia, and New Zealand. Like, they're they're growing the sport the right way, and they're kind of like. We'll get there. We'll get there. They're not really put. They're they're pushing it, but they're not r rushing the process. Um, they understand that it takes time, which is good. And then uh, the other thing is too is I think I don't know about New Zealand, but I know in Australia, if you hit a certain membership, you start to get more funding from their governing sports bodies. So that's kind of cool to see that 
materialize because I think floorball's getting there, at least based on Instagram and social media, like what I've seen of them, they're definitely growing. Yeah, and we're working behind the scenes as well uh, to try to, to make Floorball Canada an official like Sport Canada member um, nice. to, get, to get funding. Um, because even when we go to, to World Championships, um, and people may not realize, there's actually a doping um, component to it. And mm-hmm. most of the countries um, that are at the World Championships, they do their own doping um, education in their home country before they get to the World Championship. Because we're not recognized, we don't have that ability to do that. So we actually have to attend a session during the championship where they go through like doping education to all our players and coaching staff. Um, and, you know, when you're there for an event and you're focused on playing, to take an hour or two out of your day for something that's very important, I'm not saying it's not, but yeah. it, really, it really changes your preparation time, um, you know, when it's something that all the other countries are doing back home before they get there, that we have to do it there because we're not recognized and don't have those opportunities. Right. So I knew, I knew about the doping control. Like I've had experience in like, because I've, I've managed the two qualifiers and I had to like, I had to deal with the doping, the, I forget what they're called here. CCES. Yeah. Canadian center Canadian. for ethics. And Sports. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and then like I had to get the agents to mark them for the qualifiers and set up a room and have that all going and make sure it was up to par and like get it inspected by them and then be like, yeah, we're good. And this is what we need. And then I also helped uh, with doping control in 2016 in Belleville. And then I had to, I luckily I didn't have to deal with it too much in, um, in Halifax. I just had to make sure that if the agent decided to come to our building, he knew where everything he was to grab the player and then like where his, who his escorts would be to take them to go and get checked. Uh, if they decided that they wanted to check anybody, but I didn't realize you guys had to go through it. Like I knew they promoted like I knew there was a big anti-doping push during the tournament and they send out pamphlets, but I didn't realize you guys had to like sit through basically like a class. Yeah. And like I said, we're, we're about the only ones that have to do it. So, so the IFF would be quite happy with us too, that if we could, you know, get it done over here and be recognized that uh, it would be one last thing they would have to organize at a, at a tournament of, of the magnitude of the world. Yeah. uh, There's a lot of moving pieces when it, when it goes into those. So I guess we'll uh, we'll get into the fun stuff here. So I have a couple of questions for you, but I actually wanted to ask you about something that came up with Stu, little Stu. So we were talking about, um, I had asked him for his view of, because he was courtside, um, if you remember the the fight in the high school division in 2019 um, that broke out on the court. (laughs) So I was asking, because he was down there on, I'm trying to remember if you were in the stands or if you were down there on the floor as well. No, I was up top in the stands with some other parents, yeah. Right, okay. I want to say I was talking to you and Melissa when it started. (laughs) And then took off, yeah. Yeah, but I, so we were talking about that and I was like, we were just talking about how like it's so rare to see that in floorball. And then he brought up a story where you got into it with, I think it was a Montreal player in Montreal. <laughs> yeah. The, the early days. To help out. <laughs> the, the early days of, uh, of playing floorball where I thought it was so much better than I actually realized I was. And, and now being involved at the level I am, I realized that, you know, that's not good optics for the sport, for the, the GM to be uh, getting in altercation. So, so yeah, yeah no, no, we've, we've, we've worked on from that. 
I just wanted to ask you if you remember what happened because Stu said he like took the pass from you and then all of a sudden you were jarring with some guy. <laughs> I think it was just I think I made the pass and then I turned and he the player kind of hit me f from behind and you know in Montreal right there's not a lot of space between the boards and the wall. And yeah. I, I kind of went into the wall and I wasn't very happy about it. Um, so I think I just I remember and the shoving but i don't remember i i was i was like we'll have to ask your dad Stu, because like i don't remember how it started because i can remember the pushing and the shoving and some of the ottawa kids coming over the boards to be like yo hey but uh that was i just wanted to ask you get uh get the the first hand account of it because there was some gaps <laughs> in yeah. the in the memory and then uh i actually wanted to ask you about your first elite goal because we've <laughs> Yeah. You as well. <laughs> so, yeah, it was at the, the Cambridge tournament at the University of Guelph. And uh, I don't know if it was just the weekend. Uh, we had some a bunch of the elite players from Ottawa couldn't make it. Um, so they were really shorthanded. So, uh, so Matt asked me to play um, in one game. And I, I was just kind of being, you know, the defensive forward, you know, just pass the ball up to, you know, Cam and, and Matt and let them score. And there was one time where I, I played it back to Matt and I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to go to the net. And, uh, and he found me and I just one time did, I had no idea where, where I was shooting and it just happened to go in the net. So yeah, I actually still have the ball got <laughs> it to me as a gift as my first league goal. And then ironically, um, the next tournament, which was the Ottawa tournament, um, I had to play again because something happened and, and somebody was away and I, and I was playing with, with Matt and Cam again and I actually scored two goals in that okay. uh, in that tournament uh, again i think it was, i was just in front it may have hit me and or it was a rebound or something it's not like i was you know a skilled yeah. goal scorer or anything so nothing yeah, wrong so, with the little scramble eggs <laughs> i think i've got more goals at the elite level than i do actually think in men's rec if that's possible <laughs> i think i play defense more in men's rec so that must be it well yeah well i, I want to say I'm trying to now. I'm thinking it might have been at the Cambridge tournament because I want to say, or not the Cambridge tournament. Sorry, at the Ottawa tournament after, because I want to say I was there for your first goal. But I remember, I I think it must have been at the Ottawa tournament because I was sitting at the scorers table talking to somebody, and I could hear Matt Smith either on the floor or on the bench, and he was just he was just going, "Go, Stu, go! You got a goal! You got a goal! You're good!" <laughs> like he, he was just being super loud about it. And I was having a riot just listen to him add you on to try and get you to score again. <laughs> the best part about the goal, my first goal, was somebody actually videoed it and sent oh. me the video of it. So I actually have the video of the goal. And I think the funniest thing is my reaction. Like I one time it, and then I realized it's in and I just like didn't know even how to celebrate because I never thought I actually would score. So Yeah, it's, it's very surprising. And like uh, it sounds like a story Mitch told me. Um, it was like, he was like, he scored a goal and he was just super surprised that he was able to score it. So he kind of does this like weird little fist bump as everyone comes over to him. And, uh, so it was kind of like, he's like, yeah, it's like, normally I have a celly ready, but I was just so surprised that I scored. Well, I now Mitch, is, Mitch has kept that celebration. He, he did that in, uh, in Sweden in 2017 and he's, he's kept it going. So, um, I'll have to. I'm waiting for Stu to score his first international goal to see what his uh, 
his like, celebration will be. So. Ashley yet? How come you didn't tell me that? <laughs> uh, well, he's only he's only played in the one tournament, right? He only played right. in Halifax, and he's a defender, so he had a couple a uh, couple assists um, and uh, a lot of uh, block shots and some other highlights of being dumped over the boards a couple times. But yeah, no uh, no goals. He It'll come. He, drew, he drew a pretty big penalty for you guys. In Halifax, right? Or was that was that somebody else? I'm trying. It was a pretty big hit against Germany yeah. or the U.S. He he took a couple hits and ended up like falling either on the, the boards or over the boards that drew penalties. So um, he doesn't mind uh, mind that. And like I said, he loves to block shots. He uh, he'll come home with welts and ball marks, and he doesn't mind getting in front of player shots. So I think there was one one uh, sequence in Halifax where he blocked like three shots in a row. Yeah. He, uh, he, he very much invo- embodies the, uh, the team Canada, nice block sentiment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I guess based on just rolling off of that, um, if we haven't already talked about it, what is your favorite floor ball memory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I definitely think it's one we haven't talked about, and that was uh, that was beating the U.S. Uh, in Halifax, uh, the Saturday night game. Uh, you know, full stands of Canadian supporters. Uh, they got ahead of us early, and uh, you know, we knew this was for rankings, and it was the Battle of North America that we we wanted to come out on top. And we had a really good second period, took a five or six goal lead, I think, and then just kind of uh, held on. Uh, through the third period, it was it was very anticlimactic because everybody last minute, everybody was up, you know, cheering and stuff. And the U.S. scored kind of a pointless goal to make it, you know, a four or five goal lead. Like they weren't going to come back, but it was like you ruined the, <laughs> the celebration. But come when on, the, guys, give us a break. <laughs> yeah, it's our our home game, right? Um, but yeah, when the the game ended and everybody, all the the parents and and fans came down on the court and. Uh, Oh, and cool. celebrated and, and took pictures and there was flags and they kept the music going and, and just nobody wanted to leave. Cause it was like, you know, this is it, this is our last game together. And, you know, this group won't actually all be together again. You know, obviously where some players would be returning uh, for this year's U19s, um, but some of them were, were graduating up. Um, some of them may not play floorball again, who knows, but it yeah. was, it was just one, you know, great, um, celebration. I still have the uh, the team photo uh, that we took together uh, after the game. I still have that on my uh, my Facebook page. Is I think my uh, not my profile picture. What's the other one? Your cover oh, pick or whatever it is. Yeah, I love that picture. It's everybody. Uh, you can see all the fans in the back with the Team Canada flag. So that was that was my best memory. I think that's that's a really good one. I like that one, and that's actually probably like. I loved being in Halifax and I had a great time and it was a lot of fun and it was, it was good to work there and like do that and help put that tournament on. But that was the one thing I wish I would have been able to see is, um, is that final game. I was actually using the app to check the score while Norway was because, uh, because you guys had that game on Saturday, I think I had seven, seventh and eighth spot was at my rink. It was a really good game, but I was like, trying to run the building and keep an eye on the score and be like, okay, remind me this, this game's important. So we go to overtime kind of thing and how that works. And like, I've got the, cause that was our last day in that building too. So we had to tear down. So I had the, the, the people for the building were checking like, Hey, 
are we going to be out on time? I'm like, I think so. I think so. <laughs> we might be cutting it close, but they're like, okay, no worries. You're like, you've, you've got the building till whenever, but the sooner we can send people home better. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. But <laughs> this is their last game. Give these kids a break. Okay. <laughs> but I was trying yeah. to watch the score and I was like, someone came over and was like, yeah, you guys, uh, someone told me you were down. I think it was like two nothing to start the game. And I was yeah, like, like I said, we got behind uh, real. I think it might've been like at the end of first, it might've been like three, one or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was getting, I was getting a little, uh, little sweaty, worried about it. Cause that was the thing in Sweden, like, and we, we had great fan supporting in Sweden. A lot of the parents came over and, and friends and stuff. Um, but it's not the same as, as playing at home. And yeah. in Sweden, we lost that placement game to Hungary. So you, you left with a bad taste in your mouth. And I didn't want to do that again, uh, especially against the U.S., right? There's always that rivalry. Uh, yeah. So that, that's why it meant so much to for the boys to step up and, and win that game. And that gave us, you know, a 500 record in the, in the tournament. You know, we lost our, our first two games to uh, what, Estonia and Slovakia and then beat uh, New Zealand. And then it was great to finish with the, the win over the U.S. Yeah, that uh, that Estonia team and the both the Estonia and Slovakia teams are both very good teams, um, from what I remember because I saw a lot of their a lot of their games at my building. And then, um, yeah, no, I just I just remember being like, wait, the USA is up because they had had a very rough start to the tournament. I think they went oh a well, one and two. They should have lost to Japan, didn't they? Score with like two seconds left or something to get into the game against us. If they yeah, hadn't that's, done that, yeah, I that's think what they it was. Beat... It was a tie, right? Because it was a tie game against Japan, and Japan was just like they had been all over them. And then they were playing defense, and it was, I think, it was a tip or like kind of this goal, and it 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 gave them. And I was like, I felt so bad for Japan because they had been the better team that game too. And USA kind of pulled pulled one out. But mind you, their goalie, um, one of the few times that I've seen, like at least in person, of a floorball game that was like where the goalie played a huge, huge role in like keeping his team in that game. Cause there was a couple saves he made against Japan that I was just like, I'm sorry, you did what? <laughs> like it should have been like five or six, a goal lead for Japan heading into the third period. But I think it was only one and USA tied it up and then they scored late too. Cause even if Japan had tied the game, they were still going to play you guys. Yeah. Cause they, so cause the they already had win. a tie. So then they played New Zealand in the final game, which was actually a really fun game to be at because um, they were – that was a good game to watch because they were very back and forth. An exciting, exciting game for the last <laughs> last uh, game of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And then I guess my other question is – it's along a similar lines. Um, I don't know if Stu prepped you for this one or not because I asked him as well. Um, so what I've been trying to get from the people who both play and are involved in the sport in like at a more grassroots level – um, is uh, what's a floorball story that you have? It doesn't have to be like um, a, a goal or something like that, but like a floorball story that you have that you think the rest of the community should know, or, you know, people new to the sport should hear that might make them want to pick up a stick, so to speak. Um, so the one that I uh, example that Mitch gave me is uh, in 2018, they were watching the Sweden Switzerland game that went into a shootout, like the quarterfinal game. And they were supposed to go for their team dinner and they kept putting it off because they all wanted to watch the game. So they were sitting in their hotel rooms like, okay, well, yeah, we'll go after this goal. Oh, no. Okay. Hold on. We got to sit and watch and see how this turns out. Um, something like that. It's not necessarily like a, 
a four ball moment, but maybe like a fun tournament story. Or I think I, the one you gave me was like when he played 20 games at Canada cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How he did that. I don't know. Um, what, one story that, that I, I would offer. And again, it's probably because it's behind the scenes. Most people don't know about it. Um, so as mentioned in Halifax, we beat New Zealand. Um, and in, uh, in the Dalhousie residence in Halifax, we were on like the fourth floor and New Zealand was like on the third floor. So when we would take the elevator up to our floor, um, sometimes it would stop at their floor and the New Zealand guys were there. And the last night after their last game and after our last game, both teams ended up getting together and just, you know, hanging out together. And then you started seeing the jerseys switch so the Team Canada guys are giving their jerseys to the New Zealand guys. The New Zealand guys are giving their jerseys. And then it became the shorts. It was the jerseys <laughs> and the shorts. And then it became like the jackets. And so then, like – I knew about the jersey and the shorts, but not the jackets. I, I came in one uh, at one point, and I, I saw one of our players, but he was completely decked out in New Zealand attire, and I wasn't sure it was him. I thought maybe <laughs> he had been traded to the New Zealand team. And then on the other side, there's a New Zealand player wearing all Floorball Canada stuff. And I was like, how did this happen? But that's really uh, one of the, the nice things that I like about um, – about going to a world championship is that, you know, no matter what happens on the court, they're still, you know, off the court, you know, guys can be friends. And I, I don't know if Stu said, like he still FaceTimes with some of these New Zealand guys, um, you know, and that's, we're, you know, two years uh, past when that tournament was. So, so that's yeah. really neat to, to see. And I guess well, the same thing, you know, comes in the floorball league of Canada, right? We go to yeah. these tournaments every week. We compete hard against each other. But then at the end, no matter who wins or loses, hopefully, um, you know, guys are still friends. And, and like I said, maybe that's what I learned from from being involved in the sport longer is, you know, my little situation in Montreal was it's not worth it. Like yeah. we go out, we, we play hard and, and you compete as, as hard as you can. But then when the game's over, it's over. And, you know, these guys are your friends. We're all Canadians. Uh, you know, we all want the best for the sport. So, uh, you know, this may be the way to grow it is, you know, doing jersey exchanges because it happens yeah. in almost every other sport now. So why not floorball? Yeah, I, I have uh, – that made me think of – you telling that story made me think of uh, Belleville. Um, I was down scorekeeping a game, and um, I forget – I think it was – I can't remember who Norway was playing. But these these poor girls played their hearts out. Um, to not get relegated to the B division. Like it was a very important game. And it was, I think they want like Norway won four, three, or they won five, four, something like that. And then, and it was like back and forth. And the girls on the other team were pretty upset. And Norway had started a tradition of dancing. I forget what the song was, but they danced in a circle um, at the end of each game as kind of like they're worn down, so to speak. And they brought, they went and grabbed the girls from the other country's team and they got them all in a circle around the big IFF logo in the middle of the floor and they taught them to dance and they all danced together. And I, I have a video somewhere of them doing a conga line. <laughs> and it's so, like, yeah. I don't think you would see that in any other sport really. Like maybe, maybe some other smaller sports that are growing and have a smaller community, 
but like there's zero chance like a ho- i've seen hockey players go over and console other hockey players but there's zero chance the losing team would want to celebrate with the winning team the way that those girls did and i think i think that's part of what i've always liked about this sport is that that community regardless of where you play or where you live or what language you speak we all have the same affinity for this sport and that's what drives us to try and grow the game and get it to the level where you know maybe kids to age can make a living playing floorball in the near future um or you know maybe kids younger than him because he's getting up there in age (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no that's a great story yeah that that would be very similar to to what my experience was seeing uh, these two teams interact after just uh you know battling it out on the court yeah it's a it's a very um i don't even know what the word is looking for but it's very uh spontaneous almost but it's like at the same time it shows like a great deal of respect which i think has always been like as long as i've been part of global it's been about respect so but uh so, Stu, I have one final question for you, and this one's super easy. shouldn't take you long. As the GM of the men's team, somebody might be listening to us and having the same response that you had going, oh, there's a national program? Um, so if they wanted to reach out to you about anything like that, how can they do that? Um, you can reach me on uh, email, uh, stuart.bowden at floorballcanada.org. Um, we have a, a very busy uh, men's national schedule coming up. So yeah, if people are interested, we're definitely going to be looking for players. Um, We have the 2021 worlds uh, in Finland in December. We have a qualifier for the 22 worlds uh, versus the U S down in Florida in February. Uh, Fingers crossed uh, world games in Alabama in July. And then 2022 world championships in Switzerland in November. So you know, within a a year span, we could have you know four major competitions. So yeah, we need to definitely have a large uh, pool of of players that we can select from because it's it's going to be busy and we're gonna we're gonna need bodies to to be able to to help us get through all this. So absolutely. So yeah. So I'll uh, what I'll do as well for those listening is I'll put Stu's email in the description of the episode so you can uh, reach out to him that way and then. Um, We'll plug Four Ball Canada's social media as well because they post a lot of stuff and information about what their national programs are doing there as well. So, um, yeah, and normally, I, I, under normal circumstances, we would have a, a training camp uh, tryout. Uh, I don't want to say thing, but uh, an avenue for people to come and show their skills. Um, yeah, but because of COVID and because of these timelines, uh, we're not going to have that. So yeah, the best way to to reach me is uh, by email, and then if we can get some video, and I can pass it along to the coaches uh, for when they make their selections, because that's the good thing. I'm just the guy behind the scenes. I do all the organizing. The coaches are the real uh, heroes. They do all the work. They pick the team. Uh, they pick the players. They coach uh, at the events. Um, I, I have all the respect for them because I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, with how hard they work. And, and we have signed our coaching staff through um, the 2022 Worlds in Switzerland. So it'll be the same coaching staff uh, with Otto and Henry uh, and staff nice. all the way through till then. Nice. That's good. Because they, they're relatively uh, – are they, they were 2018 was their first tournament with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. 
that was okay. in Prague. Yep. Yeah, relatively like this would technically speaking like 2020 would have been their second tournament with you guys. Yes. So they they're, they're going to get a, they're going to get a lot of Canadian experience over the next year and a bit. Yeah, uh, I mean the good thing is, you know, two championships on that side of the uh, uh, the ocean that they'll already be there for and then two the qualifier in the World Games over here so they get to come over here a couple times. And, uh, and do some scouting at the same time, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, hopefully we're back. To, by the time they come over here, we're back to a point where they can actually see players play football in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stu, thank you uh, for your time and being on here. And sorry for being a little late today, but uh, we got her going. So no problem. appreciate that. And uh, yeah, be safe. And thanks again. Thanks again to you. And, uh, and look forward to hearing more episodes with uh, more people in the floorball world. Yeah, it'll it should be a good time. The Snowball Floorball Podcast is a property and production of IBK Events and Consulting.